Good morning, Baton Rouge Vineyard. So great to be with you. My name is Kathy Maskell, and I'm the pastor of East Denver Vineyard. So I'm sending you love from your larger vineyard family out here in Denver. Jeremy, thanks so much for this invitation and opportunity to share with your church community. And Jeremy invited me to share something that I have felt God has been speaking to me about over the last few years. And this morning, I want to invite us into exploring God's heart for radical hospitality or kingdom hospitality. And I want to read this poem from one of my favorite poets, George Herbert. Love bade me welcome, yet my soul drew back, guilty of dust and sin. But quick-eyed love, observing me grow slack from my first entrance in, drew nearer to me, sweetly questioning if I lacked anything. A guest, I answered, worthy to be here. Love said, you shall be she. I, the unkind, ungrateful, ah, my dear, I cannot look on thee. Love took my hand and smiling did reply, who made the eyes but I? Truth, Lord, but I have marred them. Let my shame go where it doth deserve. And know you not, says love, who bore the blame? My dear, then I will serve. You must sit down, says love, and taste my meat. So I did sit and eat. Raise your hand right now in the room if you like to host parties at your house. Now raise your hand or keep them up if you're the kind of person that likes to cook for people. And what about raise your hands if you like to decorate your house and you're one of those Insta stories people where you like to dabble with interior design. I mean, I would raise my hand for all three of those things. I, I love it all. I love it all. And that, that poem I just read, I actually wrote my college thesis on it. I love how this poem about love, this poem about the interaction between the guest and love as the host highlights these different dynamics that are at play when we think of hospitality and hosting, what it, what it means to, to bring someone into an experience of extravagant welcome. And of course, in that poem, love signifies the sacrificial love, the, the extravagant, over-the-top, uh, inexplicable love of Jesus Christ. But in this poem, it, 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 it highlights how we think about some of these key roles in, in any hospitality situation. So you've got the host, you have the guest, you have the home, you have a table, you have the question of worthiness. Who is worthy to be invited over? Who decides who is worthy? You have the dynamic of listening of sitting, of eating. The most important story to understand in the Old Testament with regards to who the people of God are is the story of Exodus, of God delivering the Israelites out of slavery from Egypt, leading them through the wilderness for 40 years so that he can form them 
and bringing them into Canaan, the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. And I believe the second most important story in understanding how God as the host forms his people, inviting them to his table, is the story of God allowing the Israelites to be captured by the Babylonian Empire, the, where the tribe of Israel is brought into exile a conquered people forced to live in another land, another empire, a very different sense of being a guest in someone else's land in that they are hostages at someone else's table. But in exile, God challenges his people to not just have a pity party. He says, seek the peace of your city. I know that you are literally hostages in enemy territory, but as my people, I'm calling you to flip the script. Yes, on the one hand, on paper, you are the hostages, but as my people, I'm calling you to live in enemy territory as if you were the hosts. Seek the peace of your city. Plant gardens, marry, have children, participate in the life, in the well-being of the larger society that you are now a part of. This is not an easy call. God does not call the Israelites to live as Exodus people anymore. Where he is commanding them to live completely set apart, he doesn't do that. He doesn't command them to isolate themselves. You know, we're just passing through this enemy territory. No, God flips the script and he says, live as if you were the host. Live as if you are good guests. Sit, listen, eat, participate, contribute. Fast forward several hundred years and Jesus reinforces and renews this call to the people of God, to those who have ears to hear, to those who have eyes to see that the kingdom of God is at hand, that through Jesus, the kingdom of God is breaking in in a whole new radical way, where as exiled people, Jesus is calling people to hear the good news preached to the poor, good news preached to the broken and the marginalized. And it's the broken, the poor, and the marginalized who are being called to be guests at God's table. It's the poor, the broken, the marginalized, the sinners who are invited to participate as hosts to also be the ones to seek the good of their city, to participate, to love their enemies, to set a table where the food is good, the good food of healing and being healed, the good food of being forgiven and forgiving. Because the followers of Jesus are not just called to be Exodus people where they're just passing through, and to simply wait on God to deliver them, to deliver us and our neighborhoods by parting the seas of brokenness, sin, and evil. 
I mean, the, the media and so many of the political and global issues that swirl around us, doesn't it paint this picture of the world more like the Titanic, where it's irreparably broken in half and it's sinking, it is going nowhere faster, actually it's going in one way fast. Of course, of course, it seems like the only appropriate response would be to jump on that lifeboat and to escape and to go the other direction, to safety, we're just passing through. Let's just live as Exodus people. But instead, Jesus says, come back, come back. Do not escape on those lifeboats, come back because I, God, am calling you to the Titanic. I'm calling you to come back because guess what? I am on the Titanic. I am in the midst of the broken world. I am still setting a table. Come back again. Come back to your city. Abide in your town. Abide in your neighborhood where you have been planted transformation of our cities, our neighborhoods, our communities, our churches are possible when we take that posture of kingdom hospitality, of radical hospitality, and we sit with Jesus and we eat the meal that he is setting. When we listen first to what the Holy Spirit might be doing, we are surprised we don't jump ship. When we listen, we can have this posture of radical hospitality to receive something good, even in the midst of what the world would say is terrible. It's a terrible situation. It's a confusing situation. In these COVID times, we maybe even have forgotten, how do we invite people over to our homes anyways? How do we neighbor well? How do we listen to what Jesus is up to already? in our midst. We can sit and eat of Jesus's goodness, his power, and his vision of the abundant life. When we receive Jesus's abundant life into our own, we participate in extending his hospitality to others. And this is why Christian hospitality is radical hospitality. It invites me, it invites you, it invites our churches into mutually transformative relationships, ones where I and you follow Jesus as the ultimate host, the one who has all the power to set the table as he pleases, where I do not always decide and choose who sits to my left or to my right, but I allow Jesus to sit me at his table and allow Jesus to decide who's to my left and to my right. And that can be a very, very surprising thing. Consider all the different kinds of small groups you may have participated with or literally who you might have sat next to at church. Ideally, it's not always someone that you chose to sit next to. That is a part of practicing Christian hospitality. Host has at its root, not just the one who throws the party, but the, the, the root of the word host has the connotation of stranger. 
of foreigner, of enemy. That's why host and hostage have the same root. And when we define host in this way, which actually embraces the, the, the way that it leads us to think about hostage, about enemy, about foreigner, practicing radical hospitality challenges us to move constantly between these roles of guest, host, stranger, foreigner, and yes, even considering how we ourselves may be experienced or considered enemies in the eyes of someone else. And isn't it true that before Jesus, that before God our Father, we were enemies to God's goodness. We were enemies to God's holiness. And yet through Jesus setting the table, through us saying yes to sitting at his table, enemies become reconciled as friends in and through Jesus. Radical hospitality begins with God's mission coming towards us, begins with Jesus's mission saying, yes, the good news has come through me. Jesus's action is what sets the table, not ours. God invites us to go beyond the comfort zone of our bodies when they are at home, whatever that context is, whatever the, the people that you feel most at ease with. Because instead of feeling at home with what is all of our defaults of what is comfortable and safe and easy, by saying yes to Jesus, we are saying yes to being on pilgrimage with Jesus, pilgrimage with God, where we anticipate what it might feel like to be strangers in this world, to be strangers, even in our own context at times, because we're not exactly sure what will come up in God's house. Who is God going to invite over? It's good and right that we might be prepared and ready to welcome someone who is different from us. We anticipate that God is up to something when he plays the host. When God is the host, we can count on God to be a generous God. Jesus, who experienced poverty and oppression firsthand, calls his followers to trust in the generous God who delivered the Israelites out of slavery. Because the real scarcity problem, the real sin problem, is not lack of resources. I'll say that again. The real sin problem, the real scarcity problem is not lack of resources. As much as our eyes may seem to see it that way, the real problem is our mindset that God is holding out on me. Maybe I need to take matters into my own hands, so I better take care of me, myself, and mine before I take care of anybody else. It's this mentality of scarcity that breeds the battleground for competition, for greed, for selfishness, for unforgiveness, for anxiety, for, for violence. And to our fearful, hostile, and violent world, Jesus offers himself as that very generous God, 
giving himself away unto death on a cross so that he would break the curse, break the burden, break the weight of sin, of the narrative that there is not enough, that there will never be enough. Jesus gives himself away and away and away. And he invites us to do the same. He snatches the keys of death out of the hands of the enemy, our accuser of our souls. And Jesus declares that even death cannot rob God of being generous. In Jesus, we can trust that God, our Heavenly Father, can be a good host, a generous host, who calls us to be generous in our relationships and our posture to one another, even when what our eyes see is not enough. And maybe that's really true for you today. You know, you have bills that need to be paid. You feel you experience scarcity in your relationships. There's unforgiveness. There's there's just trouble and just friction even in your in your workplace maybe. And yet in those very real places in our lives where we feel we don't have enough money or again that might really truly be the case. We don't have enough time. And especially those who would feel like enemies, those who don't vote the way we do, those who don't read the same books or watch the same shows or listen to the same podcast, especially those who feel like enemies and make us feel scarce. In Acts chapter 9, we, we read the story of Saul, the Pharisee, who hates Christians so much, he literally breathes murderous threats under his breath. He is scouring the land for Christians, literally to condemn them to death. Now, there's the famous story where as he's on the way to Damascus to deliver another death sentence, to Christians, the Lord Jesus knocks him to the ground blind. And at the same time that Saul is blinded by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit speaks to a follower of Jesus named Ananias. And what Ananias hears from God are these words. Get up and go to the house of Judas on the street called Straight and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man called Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. And I just love the human response that Ananias has to God. Lord, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people. This is Ananias bargaining with God, debating with God. God, maybe you haven't heard, but this fellow Saul is trying to kill people like me. Why would you send a victim straight into the hands of his victimizer? I would totally side with Ananias, wouldn't you? Saul is the problem. Saul is the threat, the murderer, best to stay away. 
Get away from danger. Get away from the enemy. So God has to send Ananias. God says to Ananias, go. You have seen things wrongly. Yes, even though you are the persecuted minority, I am asking you to lower yourself to help Saul because I, God, am choosing Saul as my vessel. God is making an enormous problem for Ananias, calling him to practice radical hospitality far beyond welcoming a stranger or a foreigner. God calls Ananias to serve a hostile enemy. God directs Ananias to go into and infiltrate the enemy camp, to go and be a part of what is possible when God shows up. Go and see what God can do with a person who seems beyond hope, beyond rescue, beyond forgiveness, beyond transformation. And so Ananias' posture reminds me that we serve a God who tells us that people on his road, on his way, those people get into the hot messes of the world. We go back on to the Titanic. We get in to other people's problems. And so rather than choosing hate or cynicism or apathy, Ananias chooses to obey God. So Ananias sets off to the house, lays his hands on Saul, and listen to what he says. Acts chapter 9, verse 17. Brother Saul, he said, the Lord has sent me. Yes, Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, so that you may be able to see again and receive the Holy Spirit. Where Ananias has suffered real suffering, being from this socially and politically powerless position as a follower of Jesus, God raises him up. God speaks directly and clearly to Ananias, directing him to be the host, the teacher, and the healer for Paul. For Ananias, Saul is the other the enemy of Jesus, the person who has killed his friends in Jerusalem. But in Jesus, as the host, the enemy, the other, gets turned into a guest who sits at the same table. In Jesus, the other becomes a brother. My parents are refugees from Vietnam. I was born and raised in San Diego. And growing up as a Southern California girl, uh, my parents are Buddhist. I got the message loud and clear over my childhood that I could do everything to chase the American dream because I'm an American and here we are living in America. Do everything I can to chase the American dream of success and great reputation and being the top of my class. But one thing I am not to do, one thing I was not to do was to become a Christian 
because to become a Christian, as I understood it through my parents, was to become white, was to become a white American in such a way that I would be rejecting my cultural heritage, rejecting all that it meant for, for our family to be culturally Buddhist. And ultimately, it would translate into a rejection of my own family. And so fast forward, I gave my life to Jesus right before I headed off to Chicago for college. And it wasn't until my second year of college, as I was learning about how to hear from God, how to pay attention to the Holy Spirit speaking to me through the Vineyard Church plant that I was a part of, and actually it was a vineyard church. That's the only kind of church I've ever, I've ever been a part of. And it was at home, second year, Christmas break, that I felt this nudge. And the way this, the nudge felt was like my ears would get hot. And it was this nudge from the Holy Spirit that I needed to come clean. I needed to fess up that I had become a Christian. And I just remember being so terrified that God would ask this of me. After all, wasn't my faith a very personal, private, individual choice that I had made? And more importantly, I knew that if I told my parents this, that I would get disowned, that I would be written out of the family, that I would be cast out. And I was just absolutely terrified of just disappointing and hurting my parents. But nevertheless, I got that burning in my ears and I, I, I knew I needed to obey. And so I said, well, okay, okay, God, I, I hear you, but uh, give me a minute. So I'm home for Christmas break and it's a six week Christmas break. So it's like, you know, I'll do it. I'll do it after Christmas. And then Christmas passed. I was like, you know, I still got three weeks left. I'll do it after New Year's. <laughs> and then New Year's passed. And finally, the day arrives where I had to get on that plane and fly back to Chicago. And this was back in the day when people were still allowed to go straight up to the gate with their family member. And so I am now at the gate and they are boarding. And they're like, boarding group A, <laughs> boarding group B. And I have finally run out of time. This is it. <laughs> it has finally come down to literally the last minute. And as people are boarding, I blurt out, I burst into tears and I just tell my mom, mommy, I, I, have, I have something really important I need to tell you before I go back to Chicago. And God bless my Asian mommy. And those of you who are Asian will understand this. Asian moms are just one of the most creative, quick thinkers of anyone that I know on the planet. And so my mom just gets this look on her face and she says, I know what you're going to tell me. You are a drug using prostitute strip dancer and you're pregnant and you have AIDS. That's how creative Asian mommies are. And so I said, no, 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 no. I, I think no, 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 mommy, no, none of those things. Mommy, I am so sorry. I've become a Christian. 
and I was fully expectant of her to blow up in my face and just walk away. And instead, my mom's face completely changes. She says, oh, oh my goodness, you're just a, you're just a Christian? Oh, you're just a Christian? Kathy, and actually she, she used my real name, Wakan. She said, Ken, didn't you know that when my family came to the United States as refugees, it was a Lutheran church in Arizona that sponsored me, your grandma, and your six aunts and uncles, my brothers and sisters. They sponsored us and they paid for all of us to live in an apartment. They helped us learn how to go shopping at the grocery store. They helped enroll us in school. They helped us to get our first jobs. They taught us everything that we needed to know to learn how to live in America. Oh, Kathy, you're, you're just a Christian? Christians are good people. No, I didn't know that. I had never heard this story before that moment. And that, it was my first understanding of what Christian hospitality, what radical hospitality could look like. Jesus was known as the friend of sinners, and we join his mission. We practice his radical hospitality when we unite with people who are not like us. Jesus would rather be called a sinner, a prostitute, a wrongdoer, a glutton, a drunk, than to risk not spending time with those whom our culture, whom our society might want to hide away, with those whom we deem unsafe, with those we deem inappropriate, with those we consider too different from us. Jesus invites us, Jesus invites you to sit, listen, and eat of his meat at his table and to go and give it away. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for your church right now. And Jesus, we invite your Holy Spirit right now. And I pray for each person this morning that you would contend with what it means to sit at the table with Jesus. And even now, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would be working in the room and just renewing people's hearts and minds and imaginations for what it means to practice hospitality in 2022. And in the name of Jesus, I bless your church to be a place of radical hospitality where strangers, foreigners, and those who, who experience themselves as far from God, as enemies of God, that when they come into contact with the people of the Baton Rouge Vineyard, that they would be invited as friends. And Holy Spirit, you would come 
and you would bring your peace, you would bring your joy, and you would bring your mercy in their midst. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.